The passage for this morning is Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told him how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with them, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are uh, in a passage of Luke, and we're studying it here until the middle of May. Uh, four messages that, that align with four stories in this portion of the scriptures where we find people who are filled with uncertainty, uh, fear, and anxiety, and Jesus interacting uh, with them. And we have to ask ourselves, why does Luke include these stories of miraculous interaction between Jesus and people at this point in the book. He's already had a section earlier in uh, the book of Luke where he does many miracles and things like this. And, and yet here, it, it's much more personal. The miracles are more personal. The stories are more personal and individualistic. Uh, some of them are, are almost done in private or in very small groups. And, and I think that the answer to this is kind of obvious. You know, Jesus tells his disciples, he tells us, those of us who follow him, that in this world, uh, we will have sorrows and we will have troubles and there will be times of uncertainty and fear and anxiety. We're not exempt from the suffering that is taking place in our world even today. And so these stories are important for all of us. And in last week's message, we saw uh, Jesus and the disciples, and they're on the lake, and there's this uncertainty that comes into their lives, this fear and anxiety because of a literal storm. And, and so last week, we saw how an intense storm can become overwhelming when we respond with fear instead of faith. 
Well, this morning, we're looking at the possessed de- demoniac. And in this case, it's not uncertainty from a, a storm of life. It's an uncertainty that uh, comes about because of spiritual bondage. I remember as a child in Sunday school, I don't know, maybe third grade, second, third grade, something like this. Um, I had heard this story many times, but in that early years of elementary, the story took on a new flavor for me. My next door neighbor, uh, in the, on the west side of Jacksonville. Uh, they also had a farm in one of the more rural counties outside the city limits. And we would go out to their farm and, and as about a second grader, I think it was third grader, I went out with them that first week that I did so, um, I discovered that they had a pigsty. And in, in North Florida, a pigsty is nothing more than really just a big mud bog pit you know, with a fence around it. And what, you know, eight, nine-year-old boy doesn't like mud, right? And so I never will forget, I came home from that day at the farm and my mom met me at the front door and she made me, you know, strip naked in the front yard and uh, hosed me off because I was mud from the top of my head to my feet. I mean, there were just white eyeballs, you know, it almost looked like I had black face on. I was so dirty and muddy. And, but I had a great time of all things, playing with the pigs and in the mud and all of that, that we had mud fights. And so when I heard this story soon after that in Sunday school, the story took on a new dimension for me because as I'm hearing it and I'm thinking about the pigs, I was just fascinated, you know? You know, what, what was going on with the pigs? I mean, did they squeal when they were running down the, down the slope? And, you know, why did they drown? I mean, you know, they're full of fat. Why didn't they float when they hit the water, you know, and be able to... So I had all kinds of questions because as a child, I was, you know, focusing on the pigs. But you know what? I'm not a child anymore. And if you haven't noticed, and uh, had a birthday yesterday that reminded me that I'm no longer a child. And so now the story speaks to me in a very different way, and hopefully in a way that is more in tune with the original purpose of the story. In a, in a few moments, uh, we're going to divide the story into a couple of categories, and we'll look at the second category in a moment, how we'll see the compassionate grace of our sovereign Lord throughout all of this uh, story. But do we have to start with the uncertainty and the pain of this demoniac? You know, this man did not start out this way. Uh, he had a family. He had a normal life. And uh, he lived in a town there in the area that was a respectable town, probably had a career and, and made a living for his family. But by the time we come to it physically, he's a wreck. He's homeless. He's naked. He's in great agony emotionally. He lives in fear. He hates himself. We see from the story how he's howling in torment, cutting himself and and abusing his body and rejecting himself as a person. And, and then, of course, relationally, he's just an absolute social outcast, right? I mean, the, the town has tried to restrain this man, to deal with this possession that he has. They literally chain him up, but the, the demonic forces in him are so strong. And I remember as a child being fascinated by this too, you know, that, that, that he could break the chains that were binding him and, uh, and then run and do more damage to the surrounding area and to himself. The source of this fear, the source of this bondage, it, it comes 
from demonic possession and, and also this demonic bondage, spiritual bondage that he's under. We read in verse 28 that when he saw Jesus, he cried out and he fell down before him and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. You know, some read this story but through a, a modern lens and they're tempted to explain it away and say, well, really what was happening here was this guy was just mentally ill. And he, you know, he had mental instability. Maybe he had a disease of some kind that we now know through medicine can be treated with drugs. And, and that's a mistake in this story to do so. Now, now certainly the, the spiritual oppression affected him mentally in some way, but the root cause of what he was going through was because of demonic possession, spiritual bondage. Jesus, he casts out a, a multitude of demons within this man, and he does this throughout his ministry. Um, There's a reason why this was so obvious and so common within the ministry of Jesus. He himself explains it in Matthew chapter 12, verse 28. He says, if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. A vital aspect of Jesus's ministry and the initiation, the inauguration of the kingdom of God was to bind the strong man. Who is that strong man? Satan. He had had free reign within the world and the cultures and the kingdoms of this world since the fall of man. But Jesus, to inaugurate the kingdom of God, has to address Satan's stronghold on this world. And so a large part of his ministry involved the casting out of demonic forces that had had free reign for millennia. You know, and, and so as modern people, we tend to, some, we may be skeptical of stories like this because it's so far outside of our realm of experience. And we would ask, why don't we see this kind of activity? I mean, why this week or this month or even this year as a pastor, as a, you know, someone who is proclaiming the word, why didn't I cast out a demon? You know, why don't I see it more often? And, and really, we don't see this type of blatant oppression as much in our world, in our nation, I should clarify, for a very specific reason. It's because our nation has, had, has lived for 300 years now or more under the influence of the gospel. And where the gospel comes into a nation, the light comes in, the darkness is driven back. But, but let me tell you something. You go to other countries that have not been influenced by the gospel the way our country has, who who don't at least have that as a heritage in their nation. And you will see this kind of spiritual oppression and bondage taking place. Our missionaries, our our partners in other portions of the world, they deal with these kinds of situations. They deal with people who are very clearly, evidently possessed by demonic forces. I remember a few years ago, 
Mark Diener and Bob Jensen and I, we, we went to uh, the other side of the world and we visited Nepal and Myanmar and India and, and we're working with our partners or establishing partnerships there to plant churches. And, and in one of those countries, we had a little bit of free time and we went into the temple that was in the city that we were at. It was a magnificent structure of another religion and we walked in and we were immediately struck with just the sense of spiritual oppression and darkness, a force that was in this room and in that temple area, it was real, it was palpable. And all of us just kind of looked at each other and, and we knew there was something going on here that was definitely not of God. Church, we have to remember that while we may not deal in our nation with so many obvious examples like of demonic possession, like maybe other countries or in the time of Jesus, we still do deal with this kind of spiritual bondage that takes place. Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We may not interact every day with people who are exhibiting such strong spiritual oppression and bondage and the uncertainty and fear that comes from it. But make no mistake, we do deal every day with men and women and children who are under this same kind of bondage and oppression. Spiritual bondage and oppression is the state of every natural man until Jesus delivers us. We started out that way. You know, a passage that I bring to you quite often, uh, if you haven't noticed it, uh, I probably don't go, you know, maybe four messages without bringing back to you at least some verses from Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. If you're going to memorize a section of Scripture, memorize Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. It lays out in such beautiful detail who we are in our natural state and the, the wonders of God's saving grace. And at the beginning of that chapter, it tells us who we are. It says that we are dead. We are born dead in our trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now notice the description of every person who walks the earth who's not been delivered by Jesus Christ. We follow the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of all mankind. That all are in this kind of bondage. It may not be as sensationalistic as this demoniac, but that we are all in this kind of bondage is actually vividly illustrated at the end of the story with the reaction of the citizens. How did they respond to Jesus? I mean, realize they've been dealing with this man for who knows how long, and they, their society had been interrupted, their homes had been interrupted, and yet they come to Jesus and they're filled with fear. Why are they so afraid? Well, the, the answer is in how Jesus delivered this man. And when he casts out the legion of demons that, that were in this man, he sends them, or that he go, into uh, the the the, the herd of swine. I don't know what you call them. Do you call them a herd? I don't know what you're called, you know. But I think it's a herd of swine. 
right? Uh, there's probably up to around maybe 1,000 to 2,000 pigs, and it represents the livelihood of many of the people in that village. This was a, an event that caused great economic impact on the village there on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And this economic impact, and because of it, they're filled with suspicion of Jesus. And really what's coming through is their natural selfishness, but beneath that selfishness and suspicion is the natural spiritual bondage and the oppression that every natural human being lives with. That we would be more concerned with our wallets than we would be that a fellow human being is delivered from spiritual oppression and bondage, says everything right there. Dr. Michael Wilcock in his commentary on the book of Luke says that the demoniac of Gerasa exemplifies all the evil that afflicts the minds and personalities of men. Again, not excluding, even in our own day, literal demon possession. So we start at the story and we look at the uncertainty and the pain of the demoniac, but certainly the main point of this sermon is broken down into this idea of the compassionate grace of our sovereign Lord. You know, every one of these stories has a main purpose, right? They're being told there's something here that Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is giving to us so that we would learn something and realize something about our Lord. Last week, it was that he was the sovereign Lord over all of life's storms, literal storms, figurative storms. Our Lord is the sovereign Lord over all of them. This week, don't miss the main point of this story. And not only is Jesus the sovereign Lord over all storms, he's also the sovereign Lord over all spiritual powers. I love the part of this story where, where Jesus just walks up towards the man and immediately the demonic forces inside of him know who he is. They recognize him and their, their response to him is fear. <laughs> Isn't it great that the beings who had created so much fear and anxiety and uncertainty in this man are now, the tables are turned, and they're filled with uncertainty and fear and anxiety, and they're groveling, they're literally groveling before Jesus, begging that he not cast them into the abyss, that place that they know they will live for all of eternity at some point when the Lord Jesus returns and he defeats sin and death and Satan once and for all and these forces will be bound in the abyss. They know that's their end. They know Jesus is their creator, their judge. He's in charge of them and they have no choice but to grovel before them. How this should embolden us, right? And our mission, as we bring gospel restoration to people who live in this broken world, who are themselves like us, broken by sin, affected by the oppression of spiritual powers, how this should embolden us to bring to them the good news of Jesus Christ, because whatever is oppressing them is not as great as our sovereign Lord. In fact, right on the heels of of Luke 8 and Luke 9 and 10, we see Jesus sending out the apostles on mission. And they go throughout the countryside, and when they come back, they're on cloud nine, and their explanation is, Lord, even the demons had to listen to us. And they themselves on mission, representing as ambassadors of Christ, have all the authority and power to rebuke the spiritual forces of this world. And church, that's our inheritance too, because he who lives in us 
is greater than he who lives in this world. Our Lord, our Savior, is the sovereign Lord over all spiritual powers. Don't miss that point in this message, in this passage. But also, don't miss maybe something else that is equally important. Don't miss the fact that behind his obvious exercise of his sovereign power, it's wrapped in his compassionate grace. All through this story, the compassionate grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, is per, it's just pervasive. It's all pervasive. In the, in the beginning of the story, right? Notice the details here. If you think back to earlier, he's over on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He's doing ministry there. He has crowds of thousands. He's just fed the 5,000, or done the, excuse me, not the 5,000 yet, but he's done the Sermon on the Mount where there are thousands of people listening to him. And he gets in a boat. He tells the disciples, we need to go to the other side. And from all we know, the only thing he does on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, going through the storms, making the long journey, everything else, is he has an appointment with this man. That's all we know of. He travels to this demoniac. And he, you know, when you look at it, he approaches the man. He, Jesus initiates this deliverance and he delivers and saves the one person in that town who everybody in society had rejected and abandoned and had written him off that he had no hope. Every one of us, church, who's been redeemed, this is our story. This is what we've experienced. We've experienced this same movement from our Lord Jesus Christ where he sought us out and he brought us into his family. It's in the beginning of the story. It's in the middle of the story. I love the fact that Jesus doesn't just deliver him and then move on, you know? Uh, like, like we're gonna see next week, he delivers a woman, but he continues on. And he continue, but here, he just stops and he sits, you know? I think he builds a fire, he gets some clothes, I don't know if like all the disciples, you know, gave an article or I don't know how he did it, but he clothes the man and he sits with him and he fixes him a meal. He communes with him. He's sending this, this huge message by the fact that Jesus sits and he spends time with this one man and doesn't move on from there. And then when it's done, he gets back in his boat and he goes on to, you know, back to the other side and carries on ministry on the, on the Western shore. He's showing us how important the one person is. The kingdom grows one person at a time, and Jesus loves every single person that he brings into his kingdom. Every one of us, we're important to our Lord. He moved towards us. He redeemed us. We didn't approach him. He pursued us, chased us down. Some of us, uh, he had to drag into the kingdom of God, maybe a little more than others. And certainly, it's, if it's in the beginning and middle of the story, it's also the compassionate grace of Jesus is in the end of the story. You know, this man, and you can, get, you can understand why, this man, when Jesus is getting into the boat, says, hey, you got room for one more, <laughs> right? I, I want to come with you. You know, you know, he's just sitting at the feet of Jesus, soaking it in, soaking in this deliverance and this salvation and the love and compassion of our Lord. And he wants to go with Jesus and the disciples and and Jesus tells him no. Instead, he really, if you think about it, he appoints him as the first missionary to the Gentiles. This section of the world, this is all Gentiles. This isn't Jews. And this is a Gentile man. And what he does is he sends him back to his family. 
Think about the grace, the love behind that. I mean, imagine if you were this man's children, wife or sibling or parents. Imagine the hell that you have been through for any length of time, for an extended period of time, and how it has turned your life upside down, the heartache that you've experienced. And so what does Jesus do? He sends this man back to the very people who have probably been most affected outside of the man himself, and he commissions him. Give them the good news. Tell them about me. And that's what the man does. He goes back, he becomes the first missionary to the Gentiles, and he proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ. In this story, by, by demonstrating you know, his sovereign power, we know that he's Lord over all the spiritual forces that exist. But by putting it within this wrapper of compassionate grace, and with this grace and this love of Jesus just oozes out of the story, it encourages us to follow him, to commit our lives to him, to trust in him, because the compassionate grace of our sovereign Lord is greater than any of our underlying sources of uncertainty and fear. And some of you who are listening to me this morning, you've yet to experience the deliverance from uncertainty and fear that can come to you because you continue to, to trust in yourself, to not commit your life to Jesus Christ. The source of your deliverance is found in one person, Jesus. He's the sovereign Lord, the gracious, compassionate Lord who's all-powerful and is more powerful than anything that is holding you in bondage this morning. And so I would encourage you, give your life to Christ. Commit your life to Christ. Trust in him. Sit at his feet like this demoniac who found salvation in Christ. You know, others of us, we've trusted in Christ We've believed and we are followers of Christ, yet we struggle appropriating the benefits of our salvation and experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit that was within us. All kinds of things well up in us, but here's one thing I want you to think about this morning. I want you to, to look at your own conversion, your own experience and story of deliverance and realize something this morning. Your, your conversion, your inclusion into the kingdom of God, it may not be as sensationalistic as being demon-possessed and breaking chains and all of this. Some of your stories are more you know, sensational than other stories. Some of us, we came to Christ when we were five years old. How sensational can our conversion story be, right? But regardless, our inclusion in the kingdom of God may not be as sensationalistic, but it's no less miraculous as the story of this demoniac. And I want you to realize that. I want you to think about, meditate on that this morning, this week, that your inclusion in the kingdom of God is no less miraculous, no less powerful, no less a story of Jesus's compassionate grace than the story of this demoniac. Remember Ephesians 2 that we Looked at just a few moments ago. Remember those verses, how it described our natural state. Just think about it for a moment. If Christ had not pursued us this morning, we would still be running from God, living under the rule of Satan. If Christ had not redeemed us, our lives right now would be in the worst spiritual bondage and captivity possible because we would be under the captivity of sin and death right now. 
If Christ had not indwelt us with his Holy Spirit, our minds right now would be bound by the darkness of this world, deceived by the lies of the evil one. That's who we would be. If Christ had not delivered us and brought us into his kingdom and into the family of God, our souls would be experiencing torment. Our lives would be experiencing uncertainty filled with the hopelessness that filled this man. Our stories may not be as sensationalistic, but they are no less miraculous in what Jesus has done for us. Many of us, we live with spiritual bondage and oppression that create uncertainty and fear and despair in our lives. We don't have to live this way. And this bondage, this, this oppression, it comes in different forms. It may be an addiction to a substance or to a habit. It may be a love of this world. It may be a refusal to turn an aspect of our lives over to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And that love of self, that love of sin is creating a stronghold in our life that needs to be broken. It can be because of our sin. It can be because of other people's sins. Regardless of its source, I want you to recognize that it begins, those of you who've not trusted in Christ, it begins there. And for those of us who have trusted in Christ, we need to start asking ourselves some important questions. What is the underlying source of this bondage, this oppression? Whatever form it may take, addiction, love of the world, what uncertainty and fear, what is that underlying source? If we don't do the, the hard work of asking this question and, and asking the Holy Spirit to reveal this to us, getting the help that we need. You know, it was four years ago around this time that I was having some conversations with the elders and they knew there was something deeply wrong. Um, I needed somebody to help me to dig down and see what was the underlying source of all the uncertainty and fear and anxiety and anger and rebellion that was in my heart and in my life. I'm, I, you know, I, I'm still, I am so thankful that our elders responded with the compassionate grace that is evident in this story with the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and if you're struggling this morning, I want you to know that's the kind of church that we are. And, and we want to help you. We want to see you come to a point of deliverance. I look at my life now from four years ago, and listen, do I still sin? Yes. Do I still struggle at times? Yes. Are there times when I love myself more than my Savior? Absolutely. But at least now... <laughs> I have a better idea of what the underlying source is. And when you know what the underlying sources are of this tendency of that sinful habit, the addiction, the love of self instead of the Savior, however it meant, when you begin to understand the underlying sources behind that rejection of the gospel in your life, it equips you. There's power there. It gives you power to knowing here's what's happening and how to apply the gospel to that situation when it rears its head again. You won't be perfectly every moment of your life delivered. Perhaps you will in some cases. Praise the Lord for that. But you will find 
your life's trajectory changes and a peace that you haven't had before begins to to enter into the center of your soul and a power that you haven't necessarily experienced before begins to take up residence in your life. And this blesses not only you, it blesses the people around you, just as the family of that demoniac were blessed by his deliverance. I find that one of the reasons why Unbelievers and believers alike don't experience more of this deliverance, who, who don't get down into the deep recesses of the heart and ultimately discover the sources of what's going on and driving this. It's just a fundamental misunderstanding of one of the most basic aspects of the Christian life, faith. Faith. You see, for many of us, faith is trusting in Jesus, and, and that's where our problem is. Whatever follows the end, and the problem is the end, okay? Biblical faith is a complete trust and commitment to the Lord and, and to Jesus, and just sitting at his feet, soaking it in like that. What a beautiful picture of faith is in this story of this man. This is biblical faith. There's no room for Jesus plus something else. There's no room at all for self-reliance and pride because what normally is associated with the end is some manifestation of self-righteousness, self-reliance, and behind that is pride, a lack of humility and brokenness. How much defeat, church, do we experience in our lives How much unnecessary pain and spiritual oppression and bondage do we experience in our lives simply because of a lack of transparent humility and a desire to to look better than what we actually are? The pride, the self, the love of this world and the love of self, it's real. Biblical faith, it's raw. It's transparent. It throws ourselves at the feet of Jesus. It's just this raw, transparent trust in Jesus that continually rejects self and everything that is wrapped up in that little four-letter word. The horrible four-letter word of Christianity isn't what you're thinking. It's self. And this is what stops us from experiencing this deliverance that our compassionate, sovereign Lord desires to bring into our life. I want to encourage you this morning. We are a church where you will not be condemned. The pastors of this church, the elders of our church are the pastors of this church. And four years ago, they did not condemn me. They loved me. And there are many of you in our church that this is your testimony. We will help you. And so if you find yourself this morning filled with uncertainty, spiritual bondage and oppression. Step out of the darkness, the loneliness that this brings. Come to us. Let us help you. Father, we thank you that in this story, we see not only how sovereignly powerful and great and omniscient and all-powerful our Lord Jesus Christ is, affirmed once again his deity and his place in the universe, but Lord, that you love individuals, that you have a heart, that you are compassionate towards us.
And God, I pray that you would shed that compassion out upon our church and upon those who listen to me this morning. For those who've yet to commit to you, Christ, Lord Jesus, would would you reveal yourself to them in a real way? Bring them to an end of themselves. Bring them to a point where they reject self and they turn to you in transparent humility, trusting in you and you alone. Lord, continue to mold us as a church that so loves you and the good news of the gospel that we welcome all who struggle. Use us as agents to bring gospel restoration to our community, to those places around the world that are in spiritual darkness. In these things we pray, Jesus. Amen.